You are listening to Open Mic Spotlight with Heatherly Holt. Open Mic Spotlight is a weekly podcast featuring intimate conversations and performances with musicians and artists from Chattanooga and the surrounding areas. Take a closer look at all the wonderful talent and culture the Chattanooga music scene has to offer. Songbirds Guitar Museum, a guitar-oriented pop culture experience for the whole family, is now open at the historic Chattanooga Choo Choo. Come experience the beauty and evolution of the guitar. Discover the origins of rock and roll from gospel to blues and jazz to R&B to the sounds of Motown and the invasion of the British. See and hear the impact of surf music and rural acoustic music of country, bluegrass, and folk. Each Songbirds Guitar Museum exhibit features the guitars that made the music, as well as the stories and artists that brought them to life. Welcome to another episode of Open Mic Spotlight. I am your host, Heather Lee Holt, and today is a very exciting day because we have Ben Soli with us. Hello. Hello there. How are you? I'm good. I'm just at the tail end here of a really whirlwind visit through Chattanooga. Yeah. What an amazing town y'all got here. It's lots of things going on. It's very booming at the moment. There's How a do you lot feel about on. that? It's great. Yes. Ever since we got the gig, everything just went crazy. Everyone wanted to come here to use the internet for the startups and everything else. And been- Isn't it funny? People used to move to towns because they had rivers. Then people wanted to move to towns because they had stockyards and trading places. Yes. And now people want to move to towns because they have great internet. It just says a lot about what we want out of living on this planet as humans. We really want to make success and feel needed by other people. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is ever more possible when you grow your network of people by connecting to the internet, especially when you do it in near real time. You can be present with someone on the other side of the country, on the other side of the world, up in space. With so many people <laughs> at the same time. Yeah. It's a wild thing, but I think it can also be a little overwhelming. Mm-hmm. I think that that's probably one of the things that we're struggling with a little bit now as humans on the planet is just how do we share this place now that we're all really connected mm-hmm. in near real time? And how do you like hang out with somebody who has really different views than you? How do you share all the really good green watery spots on this planet with the other people that need it? Because it's a lot of land that you can't live on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you need places to farm and and stay. And so I think that's like a huge part of the conversation that's happening in technology. And it's neat that a hub of that, one of the fastest hubs of that is a river town, Tennessee. It's kind of ironic because we are such an outdoorsy city too. And, oh yeah. And then we have the fastest gig. It's great. Kind of the best of all the worlds, but only if you maintain the ability to mix those worlds, mm-hmm. which I think is the big challenge. And have an understanding of How it could go bad, too. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've all got our little... There's always too much of a good thing. Everything in moderation, including moderation itself. (laughs) I like that idea. I like that idea, too. So you are from Kentucky. True. Ben plays the cello. Also true. I picked Mm -hmm. it up when I was nine years old in public schools, and it was the sort of thing where the teacher, the orchestra teacher, came around to all the classrooms, the petting zoo of instruments, Mm -hmm. and the, the cello was... My favorite of those, mostly because I could make bodily noises on it. You know, just I could just I can do imagine all this fun. as a nine-year-old boy. Oh, come on! I mean, <laughs> it was the best. So I studied, started studying the cello, kind of in earnest, privately in middle school. And you can't really study the cello in any other way than studying classical music, at least 
in the broader context of America. And that's because it's got a rich history there, and it's an instrument that's very closely associated with that culture as well. But at the end of the day, it's just a wooden box with strings, and so I would take it home to my family. I had a very musical family. My mom sang. My dad was a guitar player. My grandfather was a fiddler. And so I would jam with all of them. And at the end of the day, like, I had two lives on the cello. One was my school life, focusing on kind of institutional classical music. And then the other was my social life, playing music with my friends and family. Mm -hmm. And I stayed separate for a good long time until I started writing my own music to uh, sort of bridge the gap. About when did you do that? Started writing music in high school. There's some very amateur basement recordings that I printed up a couple hundred copies of and tried to sell to all my friends in high so school. So when you first started writing music, were you singing with the cello as well? Uh-huh. I would play guitar too. I had my dreams of opening for Dave Matthews and all that jazz. That is you know, awesome, like, yeah. Uh, that, was my, that was my dream. I was like, ah, I could totally play with Dave Matthews. Oh my God. <laughs> Let's play a song. It was an original tune that I wrote for a movie called The Killing Season. Now, as you might imagine, being a singing cellist doesn't really have a clear path through the woods of the music industry. There's no clear examples of success even. But as you hack your way through creatively, you find, hopefully, like a sound that's somewhat your own. And I was doing that, and a director from Los Angeles called, and he was looking for what he described as a Appalachian fiddle, cello, spooky voice sound. And I said, well, I can do that. And I wrote this song for the movie. It's a long, hard road through a rough-edged land to the softest part of a man. And it's lined with stones and tangled in regrets that are just too hard to forget. Oh, and there's rusty signs overlooked on the way to the heart of a troubled man and you can lose yourself in the deep muddy ruts worn through by the pride of a man oh, 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 oh. letting go letting go To the weight of a man And she once ran free With the wind in her hair Breathing hard for the love of a man Oh, breathing hard for the love of a man She won't let him be And he won't let her Till he learns, Lord, how to forgive and let her go. Oh, oh, oh. 
powerful yet so so smooth and calming at the same time i just love singing uh-huh. over time i think if you just keep doing that thing that you love you get much better at it whether it's cooking or whether it's gardening yeah. or programming or whatever it is and i feel like especially singing yeah totally and i, I remember um on a tour through india two years ago i was taking some lessons with this incredible guru vocalist named ramamani it being India in this exotic place and her having such an incredible voice and technique, I, I just really wanted to know her secrets. Mm-hmm. What's your secret? And I asked her, what do you do for your voice? How do you take care of it? What's your special tea? You know, what is the special warm up or, mm-hmm. you know, tone that you sing? Like there has to be something that's a secret. And she said, I just sing. Well, of course. But like, you know, do you use like a special herb in your tea or local honey? And she's like, no, I just sing, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> and I thought that was such a wonderful lesson because the way that I've collected techniques and songs on the cello has done very little by studying or even coming up with a cool idea. Mm-hmm. It's been much more just playing and playing with other people. And over time, you just collect these things on your instrument. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about what you're going to do tonight a little bit with Jordan Ellis playing drums with me. He's a longtime collaborator. We actually met back in Allstate Jazz Band in high school. He was the exciting young drummer coming out of Kentucky, and I was the cellist that had stuck in the band as the bass player in the blind audition. But we've played a lot of music over the years together, and we put out a record last fall called InfoWars that is a duo project. So we just sat down in the studio with all of the things that we typically take on the road with us and compose with those limitations. And so we'll be playing a lot of material from that record, as well as some of the past catalog of stuff. And the thing about our shows is we try to touch on pieces of the catalog that, you know, different fans might have found us in and and enjoyed and incorporate new stuff and tell some stories. And through all that, there's always a lot of improvisational moments. It's still a songwriter show, but Mm -hmm. there's elements of jazz and R&B and there's jammy moments and then there's really highly designed musical moments. Mm -hmm. And he plays a drum set, but he incorporates a lot of electronic stuff on top of that, too. It's true. And by electronics, I mean that he uses a synthesizer and will play bass lines. Mm -hmm. So he's kind of doing the two parts at the same Mm -hmm. time. And then he'll also incorporate some triggered samples here and there. Mm -hmm. Like there's one song that we do called Drunken Driver that's got 
this incredible sample from Kenya that's got this rhythmic drive, almost like a voodoo feel to it. Mixed that with some old traditional tune from Appalachia. Those three things mixed together. And then Jordan plays along with the drums at the same time. It's so so great. A lot of stuff. I feel like the the best artists are the ones who are able to incorporate a lot of different genres and kind of make it their own. It's something that most folks appreciate when they can see Mm -hmm. an artist that's genuine, original, nuanced, super versatile. But it's also something that's a little bit hard to sell. I don't know if you had this experience when you were telling your friends about this podcast, but like, I'm going to do a podcast with this guy that plays cello and sing, but it's that's not what you think. You know, what is it? It's like a mix of all these different things. Let's hear a cover. Let's play this cover. This is kind of a hybrid creation. It's the words of a visual artist and musician named Howard Finster. And the words, um, he would always create these little ditties when he would go around. And this is a recording that I found of one of those. And it's called Just a Little Tack. Well, I'm just a little tack in the shingle of your roof. I'm just a little tack in the shingle of your roof. I'm just a little tack in the shingle of your roof to hold your house together. So come on back and live with me Come on back and let me see Come on back and live with me Make a little house what it ought to be Make a little house what it ought to be And I'm just a little nail in the plank of your wall just a little nail in the plank of your wall I'm just a little nail in the plank of your wall To hold your house together So come on back and live with me Come on back and let me see Come on back and live with me Make a little house what it ought to be Make a little house what it ought to be Just a little stone in the pillar of your house. I'm just a little stone in the pillar of your house. I'm just a little stone in the pillar of your house to hold your house together. So come on back and live with me. Come on back and let me see. Come on back and live with me. Make a little house what it ought to be. Make a little house what it ought to be. Make a little house what it ought to be I love that tune <laughs> You do tend to smile a lot I've noticed that today Oh yeah so we've started a program called the Instigators program and the idea behind it is to reach out ahead of the shows and connect with involved community members to do community engagement, educational workshops, yoga classes, pop-up concerts, things to help not only just involve us and learn about the community and kind of input as musicians, but things that will also connect people with the show. Today, we connected with Seth, and Seth is a Chattanoogan here who has a paddleboarding company, but is also really connected to the tech community and the startup community. And so he 
introduced us and took us all around. We visited the Tomorrow Building. We visited some of the folks at Lamp Post and saw some of the passageways, as they call them. That was really beautiful. And then we stopped by the Old Time Fiddle Gathering in town. And all those little things, they all add up to a more nuanced experience for me as an artist, and I think would for many other artists. Because we spend a lot of time flying over and driving by remarkable places with amazing people all the time. As musicians, I think that a part of that storytelling and archiving is a is part of our art, but we just don't leave time for it on the road or get time for it, however you want to look at it. And I feel like you have to set aside the time because you could get to a city and say, oh, there's only a few hours, but you guys are actually making the time for it and putting in the effort to make it happen. Yeah, we'll see how sustainable it is. I think we're all pretty tired, but we've learned a lot and we've grown a lot. And I have a videographer who's traveling with me named Mallory Cunningham who's documenting and connecting it. This is stuff that we generally do already when we travel through and was born out of some of the music tours that we do by bicycle that we call Ditch the Van Tours, where I load my cello on the side of my surly big dummy bicycle and Jordan packs up his drums on a trailer behind his bicycle. And we would ride from show to show. And because of the limitations of a bicycle tour, you would really have to connect with individuals in the community for homestays near the venue at the end of the night and places to eat, places to get your bicycles fixed, places to lock your bicycles up, other interesting ways to promote the shows, non-traditional show venues. That kind of on-the-ground grassroots outreach was part and parcel of the bike tours, but often gets left behind in the faster-paced van touring because the mission tends to be to get to markets really quick Mm -hmm. so that you can play more shows. Mm -hmm. And that's possible because you're in this time-traveling machine on time-travel highways moving really fast, but doesn't mean it's always the right way to go. Mm-hmm. How many cities did you travel to doing that? We did six bike tours over five years. So during that time, we traveled about 5,000 miles around 100 shows. I've done a lot of utility cycling through a lot of communities around the country, a West Coast, East Coast, Central, the part of America. Mm-hmm. That's mind-boggling. <laughs> I mean, it's just pedaling a bicycle. Mm-hmm. And you do it with good people and plan carefully. And it is definitely different than normal bike touring or adventure cycling or or even cycling cycling because it's still a commercial tour. So you just, you got to get up and get there and then you unpack and you play your show. I mean, it just seems really exhausting. Well, it's a different shape to the day. Mm-hmm. A traditional van tour sees you getting up in the morning and loading all your stuff into the van, driving, unloading at the venue, and then getting psyched up for the show. And a bike tour is load all your stuff on the bike, work your butt off all day long, most of the day, and then arrive at the venue and settle into a show, Mm -hmm. which I think is probably a much more natural state for music to be created in. Mm -hmm. It would be much more like my grandfather would have been sitting down to play fiddle at the end of working on the farm day, or it's a bit more social way to approach it. And often the bicycle tour venues are smaller, non-traditional venues. So there you especially get opportunities to settle in and just be very social with music. Cool. This is a short one and kind of connects with the bicycle tours. It's called Something Somewhere Sometime. Sometimes I feel like an arrow Fighting something somewhere long ago Whether in moon or abyss when I'm bound I don't yet know but if you see me coming, oh, I'll probably pass you by On my way to something, somewhere, sometime Ooh, 
Sometimes I find myself reeling Listening and rolling In a plastic sea The signs and signals Bidding for attention from me So turn on your city Oh, and I will turn on mine And we'll hum and glow Like something somewhere sometime Yes, and if I wounded you I'm sorry I had good intentions Yeah, yes And if I wounded you I'm sorry, Lord Oh, cause it happens all the time Something somewhere sometime Yes, I never wounded you I'm sorry I had good intentions Yeah, yes And if I wounded you I'm sorry, Lord Oh, cause it happens all the time Sometimes I feel like an arrow Great. I felt like I was on a bicycle. Yeah. Pedaling along. Yeah. How long is this tour that you're on right now? It's just a two-week tour leading yeah. into about four days in Austin, Texas at South by Southwest Music Festival and Conference. Mm-hmm. Do you have a lot of shows set up there? Uh-huh. Multiple times a day. I mean, it's an opportunity to connect with a lot of folks that during the year are very busy with life, mm-hmm. with doing all sorts of stuff. What kinds of people? Um, Other artists? Radio promoters, mm-hmm. venue presenters, technology companies that are trying to connect artists with fans, videographers, dancers. I mean, everybody, anybody that you could possibly think that are going to be connected with the music industry, they're there. How many times have you gone? I've probably gone seven or eight times yeah. over the years, but I have been avoiding it. I'm not going to lie. It's a big, big event. There's a lot of artists, and they're all packed into Austin, Texas. And on top of that, there's all these kind of outlier events that happen outside of the typical festival and conference Mm -hmm. that take over the town. So there's so much to do, and there's so much to see in the official capacity of South by Southwest and the unofficial capacity of South by Southwest. It is a big fair Mm -hmm. of musical-related things. And so sometimes I think the nuance of good music and musicians gets a little bit buried, covered over mm-hmm. in that environment. It's not always the best situation to see an artist's show. Mm-hmm. But for networking purposes, it's great. Everybody's all in one place. It's true. That's a good thing about it, for mm-hmm. sure. My joy is often in connecting with fans, and there are opportunities to do that. There's no doubt about it. Business plays a huge role in all of this. I mean... If you're going to spend time making a career out of music, you need to have some business savvy and you need to be able to make some money off of it. That being said, it's challenging because if you make your product, which is your music and your live show, geared even nominally around what quote unquote makes money, then that makes it really hard to connect with fans. Yeah, it becomes unauthentic. 
Yeah. yeah. It takes a special sort of juggling of letting the business just totally go and making art and then bringing that art back around. The moment that you think you know what your fans will like or if you think that you know what kind of music they want to hear at all is the minute that you've stopped listening mm-hmm. <laughs> to not only them but also probably what you are interested in doing. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, it's got to be what you're passionate about because you're the one that has to go play it for six people in Salt Lake City when no one showed up at the show. But you got to play a show. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And I speak that from experience. You mm-hmm. just got to go out and play those things. And I talk to so many musicians that are like, well, I'll start touring when I know I can get some people to show up and it'll make real impact. There's a chicken or the yeah. egg there. You should start touring now so that you can build then because it's very unlikely in this day and age that you're going to be able to build a community before you go to that place. It would take a very special thing like a super successful artist or business saying, we're going to get behind you. And then that's when you go to San Francisco the first time and play for a thousand people. It's just exceedingly rare. It's like lightning strike rare. And so the real business of music is going and playing for small groups of people and really putting on an amazing show for them and then repeating that and growing it very, very slowly. So I think authenticism is coming back to us in music. Although the electronic music world is kind of got a different approach to authenticism. It's much more of like a architectural designer approach. Like people but, enjoy the sounds that are there. it's still really authentic because I feel like it's really gotten creative. Absolutely. There's no doubt about it. I think that the reasons for musicians like myself that sit down and play instruments in the classical sense, mm-hmm. it can be like the rug's been pulled out from you. In other words, you just don't need to play a traditional instrument to be a musician anymore. And I think that's good. I think that's the democratization of music is really good because it's a social art form. But it makes you realize, okay, well, why should anyone play an instrument? Why should I teach that? Why should I encourage my son to play that who's Mm -hmm. nine years old? There's also an appreciation to work that is put into certain instruments, too. Kind of, but that's the thing about electronic music is people who make electronic music can appreciate electronic music and people over at the fiddle gathering are not going to appreciate it at all because it sounds like computer sounds. And there are some electronic musicians that will definitely appreciate fiddlers, but they're going to be like, that's just too much work. Or they're going to think that that's not a 100 sound, you know, Mm -hmm. it's just not quite as present. And they're different crafts, but if you lose the tradition behind that craft, then some of the value is gone because people just generally put value behind things that they know about, that they know intimately and that they love. And if that's electronic music, it will be that. And if it is fiddling, it will be that. And if it's one of those things in between, it'll be that. But the actual social aspect of sitting down and playing an instrument with each other is the thing that I don't want to see lost. I don't really care what the interface is, but that's one of the things that I don't see in electronic music is people sitting down and jamming with each other. People go into their little bubbles and create and create and create and edit and edit and edit and make their beautiful sounds, and then they present it. Sometimes they work as teams in those Mm -hmm. bubbles, but it's presented. There's not a jamming aspect. There's not that one tune that everybody knows how to play along to that you can do. And I Mm -hmm. think... That's not celebrating some dying tradition. I think it's really important because when else in our lives as humans do we actually focus on doing something together? I mean, beyond partners partnering up and, Mm -hmm. you know, living with each other and running a house and home together, like actually getting with a total stranger and saying, like, let's sing together. Mm -hmm. Let's play rhythm together. Mm -hmm. Those are really, really important things for us to do. And there are tribes and other parts of the world that settle disputes by improvising with each other on Mm -hmm. instruments. You can learn a lot about another human that they're not going to tell you. That human is never going to say like, I am scared of playing fast. 
or I'm not willing to slow down. But if you jam with them, you can tell those things. That's the thing. I mean, I love electronic music and I love playing this music and I just want the social aspect of music to stay around. Yeah. It can't just all be stage and crowds. It's got to be front porches and living rooms too. Mm. <laughs> mm. You want to do another cover? Sure. This is a song by the songwriter Gillian Welch. It's called Everything is Free. what they say everything I've ever done I'm gonna give it away ooh see someone hit the big score they figured it out that we're gonna do it anyway up the car Try to make a little change Down at the bar Ooh, I could get a straight job I've done it before Never mind that working hard That's what they say Everything I've ever done I'm gonna give it away Yeah, see someone hit the big score They figured it out That we're gonna do it anyway And sing a little love song 
is my love and myself If there's something that you want to hear You can sing it yourself Yes, see everything is free now That's what they say Everything I've ever done I'm gonna give it away Yes, yeah, see someone at the big score Yes, they figured it out That we're gonna do it, that we're gonna do it anyway future that we should know about? Yeah, so I've got a new music project coming out that we're going to actually start crowdsourcing for here real soon. It's called Ben Soli in Kentucky Native, and it is a return to my roots in string band music. When I first got started in the music industry, I was a sideman for different blues bands and also a project with an artist by the name of Abigail Washburn. And we started a group together called Abigail Washburn and the Sparrow Quartet, which featured Abby and myself, as well as a fiddler named Casey Dreesen and a banjo player named Bela Fleck. And we toured all over the world together, mixing Sichuan music with American folk music and classical arias. And when I started my solo career, it definitely had a, a bend towards the R&B folk direction. And I had taken things along that way. And in some ways didn't really represent some of that string bandy route that I was coming from. And so we've returned to that, and I've got some amazing young players that are joining me on the record, including Jordan, who'll be playing some percussion. We recorded the record earlier this year in a little cabin in Kentucky with a wonderful producer by the name of Alex Crispin, who's been working with Daniel Lenoir for the last eight years, I guess. And I'm really excited about the music. It's like a global approach to a string band. Mm-hmm. And now we just need to kind of find a way to get it out into the world. So we'll be starting that on Pledge Music here real soon and looking for a late summer release. Nice. So Ben Soli and Kentucky Native. Thank you so much for being on this podcast today. Are you kidding me? Thanks for making it so easy, bringing all the gear here to the camp house so that I can be side stage getting ready for the show and also be able to talk with you. Yeah. Thank you. Mm -hmm, My pleasure. It's a wrap. It's a wrap. Songbirds Guitar Museum, a guitar-oriented pop culture experience for the whole family, is now open at the historic Chattanooga Choo Choo. Come experience the beauty and evolution of the guitar. Discover the origins of rock and roll from gospel to blues and jazz to R&B to the sounds of Motown and the invasion of the British. 
See and hear the impact of surf music and raw acoustic music of country, bluegrass, and folk. Each Songbirds Guitar Museum exhibit features the guitars that made the music as well as the stories and artists that brought them to life.